Hi, I am, gosh, I, I, I needed a little more time to make sure my mic's okay. Is my mic okay? Am I good? I'm good, thank you. I don't even remember your name. Is it Scott? I don't remember. Okay. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. You need to know, um, really quickly, I didn't spend a lot of time on my introduction, and I knew that this moment would be really awkward because I hadn't put the time in. Oh, thank you, Rose. <laughs> but anyway, Antley, um, what I do, I, pr- I probably should let you know, is that Antley asked me to speak um, back in April. And so I have had you and this moment on my heart and my mind since April. Um, And it is really a privilege and an honor to be here with you this morning. I can't even catch my breath. I'm so excited. When Antley told me that he was canceling or when we made the church made the decision to cancel the Saturday night service, I was so overwhelmed because I was like, my whole family will be here. My whole family will be here. And it's true that some of you I know and have amazing relationships, and some of you I don't know. And that's, you're just like the third cousin I haven't met yet. And so I can't wait to, to get to know you. And unfortunately, what will happen in this moment is that you will get to know me a little bit, and I probably won't get to know you at all. And so I'm sorry. I apologize for that. But um, it is. It's a privilege to be here with you today. And when Antley did ask me to speak, um, I, he gave, you know, he said, I think that maybe you're supposed to do a series. And I was like, okay, well, what should I do that series on or where should I be? And I felt like God lay on my heart that I should do a series in Exodus. Um, because I felt like our body needed to kind of look at what does that first community group look like? And what does it look like for God to move a people group out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom? So I wanted to look and start in Exodus. But the bummer about starting a talk in Exodus is you're kind of starting your talk in the dark. Um, because when you look at God's story and you look at God's story with people, that, that God's people suffered. God's people suffered. God's people were enslaved. That suffering and slavery and oppression is part of God's people's story and it's part of our story too. But what the good news is, is that God is always there. I thank you so much that you are here. Father, and I thank you that you have things that you want to teach your body right here, right now in this moment. Father, in that as I read your word and we spend time in your word, that you will be the one that teaches. Father, not I, but you. Lord, I pray for your spirit to come and to teach us now and that we can continue to rest and to catch a glimpse of your glory, the Father. Father, let us see your glory this morning. In Christ's name I pray, amen. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, no worries. You can look at it up on the screen. So I'll be reading Exodus chapter one, and I'm gonna start right in verse eight. So we're starting in the darkness. Okay, we're starting in the darkness. We're gonna start in the darkness because what the payoff is, is that a little bit of light in the darkness makes a big difference. Okay, so we're starting in the dark. Hope's coming soon. So hold on to that. Hold on to the truth that good always comes evil. But we're going to start in a dark point in Israel's history. Verse 8. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. 
get a mental image of that because that word's going to come up again, but they worked them ruthlessly. They made their work, they made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shapira and Puha, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe them on the delivery stool. And if it is a boy, kill him. And if it is a girl, let her live. That here we have this point. Okay, so we have this point in history that these words that I didn't even want to study about what does that really look like for the slaves of that time. I didn't want to know because it is so dark. And that concept of work them ruthlessly, work them ruthlessly, you go there in your imagination, what that looked like for generation and generation to be worked ruthlessly. And somehow you have a Pharaoh, you have a ruler, the culture at large to be worked ruthlessly isn't enough. It's not enough to oppress people and to work them ruthlessly. Pharaoh had to take it to the next level and decide to kill off the next generation. That is oppression at the, you know, to the nth degree. And when I read that in Exodus, I think, how on earth could that happen? And then I look at the history of the world, and I think, how on earth can that continue to happen? That we have slavery, that we have oppression. And that how do we, how, how does that happen? How does that happen? That this, you know, empire of death and darkness. But what I know for sure is always true is that good overcomes evil. And that in the darkest of dark, that there's light and that there's hope. And what's amazing to me in the midst of this is how hope comes on the scene. Let's go back and see how hope comes on the scene, how light comes into the darkness here. Verse 17. So here we have Pharaoh, you know, who's out of control, trying to control. He's scared of the Israelites. He's controlling them by oppressing them and controlling them by killing off the next generation. And look what people do in response. Two women do in response to this. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys... Oh, wait, the mid... Wait, where did I say that? Oh, wait. Oh, I said their names already. Okay, I wanted you to make sure we knew their names, but I already said it. Okay, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. (laughs) I mean, is that, do you love not only how courageous women are, but how creative women are? It's unbelievable. You can't help but laugh. Every woman in the room knows. Ha, are you kidding me? So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order. I mean, this is, once again, crazy king trying to control. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I love, here it is, these women. You've got two women. And who are these two women? They're midwives. And who are the midwives to? The Hebrew people, the oppressed people of the day. You've got women who are in the margins. When they're, what, what are they doing? They are giving birth to children who there is no hope. They're giving birth to children who are going to be born into slavery. And yet these women, because of what they do, because they feared the Lord, they say no. And they let those babies live. And it is the spark of hope hope that sends a domino effect all through Israel. And you see that shred of hope because those women 
question the culture and they choose life. These women question the culture and they choose life. You know, you talk to any third grade kid and they can probably wax on for 10 to 15 minutes about Egyptian culture. And maybe you remember when you were in elementary school, you learned about Egyptian culture. You might've, you know, learned about ancient civilizations or whatever. But what I love here in this passage is that God, he doesn't care. We don't even know the king's name because the mainstream dominant culture of the day, that's not what's important to the Lord. We don't even know the king's name whose name we know is the women who are in the margins. We know Shipra and Puha, those crazy names. I don't know why they're not popular today, but we know, we know these women by name. And when you feel like you're in the margins, when you feel like you're, you're, you're kind of on the outside looking in and you feel like, what's, why, why can't I be a part of what's going on, on, the, on over there? And you feel like you're in the margins and, the, and that you need to remember is where God is always working, that God is always moving in the margins, that ministry happens, that lives get changed, that people choose life. And it happens on the edges of culture, not in the mainstream. It happens in the margins. And in this culture of control, in this culture of power, that these women, there's no more birth, you know, there's no moment more vulnerable um, than giving birth, that these women give and breathe life and that there's life in the margins and there's life there. Y'all laughed at it because it was so true um, that, you know, how, how fun for these women to be so creative in their response to Pharaoh, that they really were courageous. And that I do, I do, I love that, that these women were so creative in their response because any woman or any man or anybody who's watched um, a birth story, birth is not quick. There's nothing quick about labor and delivery. And yet these women with their creative response, I love it because they obviously were not afraid of man. They were not afraid of man in that moment. And I also love the fact that these women, that there's two of them. That when, they're, that when you're questioning the culture, you're going against the stream, when you're choosing life, I love the fact that God doesn't leave you alone in that moment. You know, that there's two women, that they're moving out in ministry and they're moving out together. And I love that picture. I love that reality. So as I learn, so as I'm, you know, I'm studying this and I'm studying this passage, I think to myself, God, I want to be, bring back the name Shipra and Puha. Like I want to be like those women. I want to be, you know, courageous, bold, questioning the culture, choosing life, making a difference. You know, these women, I don't think these women knew, but they like gave birth to a generation of people that were going to walk in freedom. You know, they didn't know that. But I love that, that that's what happened, you know? And so I think to myself, God, I want to do that. I want to be that. And then I'm like, Lord, teach me what that's like to fear you. Because when I look back at verse 17 and I think to myself, God, why? Why, why, why did these women question the culture? Why did they choose life? It says in verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And so I think to myself, Lord, Teach me what that's like to fear. Oh, I can hear my earrings rattling. I'm sorry. I can hear it. It drives me crazy. Did you see how cute they were and how they match my bangles? Okay. (laughs) Men don't have to worry about that stuff, but women do. I can hear it clicking. What's that clicking noise? Okay, so anyway. But where was I? Women? Shipra, Puha? Where am I? I'm fearing God. And so I'm saying to myself, I'm like, Lord, what does that look like to fear you? Like, I want to know. I want to fear you like these women. What is this like to fear you and not fear man? And I tell you what, like I look back on this last month 
Yuck. It is, it, what, I feel like God almost brought up, not on purpose, but maybe on purpose, I feel like almost every bizarre insecurity I've ever had came up this past month. Like crazy areas of fear that I had forgotten that I even had or, or new areas of fear. It was ridiculous. You know, my month started off with my husband going on a road trip and my car breaks down in like Valdasta, Georgia. And so it's like costs thousands of dollars to fix. I'm like, Lord, there's fear right there. Fear of, you know, money and money issues. Then the next week, God bless my husband. You know, my car breaks down. And the next week, my husband breaks down. He um, goes on this bike ride, this 100-mile bike ride. He's fine. The next week, he's bike riding with my kids, and he breaks his elbow. And I'm like, Lord, the car breaks down. My husband breaks down. And then in the midst of it all, do you, know, do you have this? I don't know. Maybe you don't have this, but I have this. I have this. I'm like, I'm like when you have areas of your life that you feel like you've kind of dealt with, you know, and you feel like, oh, I've kind of arrived in that area. Like, I'm kind of done dealing with that or struggling with that. And um, Lord, I'm, I'm so glad I'm so mature that I don't really worry about what people think anymore. And then, like out of nowhere, it comes back and you find this whole other area of like insecurity. And I'm like, oh God, do I have to be jealous of that too? I'm like, when I, when Alex got up to speak the other week, I thought I was going to throw up. I was so nervous. And I'm thinking, Lord, uh, what am I going to do? I've got Alex Willis who's speaking. And then I've got Antley. And like, I didn't play football for University of Florida. I didn't go to University of Florida. It didn't even occur to me to apply to University of Florida. Like what? Like what? What do I do with that? How do I? follow that. Like, look at the momentum we have. I have no ladder. I have no plops. I have props. I have no clicking. I've got clicking earrings. Like I can't, I don't got it. I don't got it. I got Exodus. I got Exodus for Pete's sakes. You know, and I can feel this fear of man rising up in me and I'm wrecked. And so I don't know if this is true for you, but when you know God's dealing with you in an issue and I feel this fear of man, then when I feel God loosening my hand and teaching me of what it feels like to fear him and to know him, I don't know if y'all do this or not, but then almost inadvertently, I start trying to control other areas of my life. And I turn into crazy Pharaoh controlling king. And it is ugly because my little kingdom is my husband and these three little children. And, um, and so when God's dealing me with the big picture stuff in my life, all of a sudden I sweep in and I just almost can't help it. You know, so when my kid says to me at 6.45, where's my gym uniform? You know, 6.45 in the morning, where's my gym uniform? I thought it was, you know, is it clean? And so I don't say, oh, what a blessing. I washed it last night. Here it is, my love. I'm like, this is not the time. Like, you don't tell me at 6.45. And all of a sudden I go from, you know, fussing at my kid for telling me about the gym uniform to like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing my best. I'm dealing with stuff. I'm doing my best. I'm making pancakes for my kids, you know, and I don't know where. I'm like, where does it come from? Where does that nasty tongue come from? I don't know where it comes from. But when God's working on me, I do. I try to control these other areas and I don't even know it. And, um, and so, yeah, I'm making pancakes. I'm looking at my kids. I'm trying to feed them healthy food. I'm trying to do the right thing. And then like, there's a bottle of Aunt Jemima syrup on my table. And I'm like, that is evil stuff. And I'm like, no, like, how did that get back in my house? They enter my syrup. I'm like, don't you know, that's not even syrup is on there. And I'm like screaming at my kids about why are we using Antrimima syrup? Because someone has snuck another bottle of high fructose corn syrup in my house. And I'm like a crazed woman. I'm like, who is doing this? Who has the cash to do this? Bod. I'm calling you out right now. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but, and I'm like, I'm crazy. And I'm driving to school and I'm looking at their faces and they're like, you know, and they're thinking, why Lord, why did you put me with this crazy woman? Why? <laughs> but it, uh, you know, but it's, but it's, but, and I feel, and I'm like, and my kids go to school and I've bred the spirit of death because I'm trying so hard to control. Do you see what I'm saying? 
who cares? Who cares about the syrup? Well, sometimes I care a lot, obviously, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, but it's this, it, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I have to go to my girlfriend and say, I blew it. It wasn't even 7.30 and I blew it and I blew it. And can we pray? Because God, I need something bigger than me. Because in that moment, I can't, I can't do it. I don't got it because I struggle with fear and I struggle with control. And Jesus, I am desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. And I think about that and I think about the reality, the thread through scripture. Unfortunately, for better, or for worse, we see it in Exodus and it keeps going. There will always be crazy kings and crazy people in our lives trying to control things. There always is going to be that thread. And when we start in the New Testament, once again, we see a king who's crazy, who's killing small children. But this time, during that time period, in the beginning of the Gospels, a baby is born that no woman can save, but came to save us. And the beauty of the Gospels is that this, that this baby grows to a man, and that what happens is that his life ends in death for you and for me. And once again, we're reminded that, yes, when things seem so dark, you know, death seems so dark, but yet resurrection is coming, and that hope is coming, and that when things seem so dark, light does come in, and light does make a difference, and that there's hope. Um, But I love it once again to go back to make it full circle. You know, people's response when they saw that empty tomb, what was their response? You know, they were afraid. They were afraid. When they saw the empty tomb, when they saw Jesus, they were afraid. And so I do. I seek God, and I'm like, Lord, please help me understand, because I've got to have a misunderstanding. What does that mean to fear you in a healthy and a real way? What does that mean to fear you? And um, I go, it's great being married to a um, smart man. There's there's so many advantages to that. And so Tripp, I'm like, Tripp, what does that mean to fear God? You got a book for me. And Tripp just walks over to the bookshelf, pulls the book, and it's like, here, it's right here. It talks about it. And um, it's awesome. It's like having your own, being married to your own research assistant. But, um, and so it's so cool. And so this, what, what I think is so neat, because I think we come with, don't we all come with so much baggage about what does that mean to fear the Lord? I mean, we come with so much stuff and we're like, how can that be a good thing? How can fear of the Lord be a good thing? What does that mean? And, um, and so anyway, I think I'm like, what does that mean? And Tripp pulled the book and it was, I love what Eugene Peterson has to say about this. And it's taken from the book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And one of the things that Eugene Peterson says is you can't can't take it like a math equation. You know, when you look at the, a math equation and you've got a, you know, whatever, all this, all these things, you can't take it apart. Like look at the word fear and work with God and, and understand what it means. It's a mystery. And you got to be okay with the fact that there's things about God that are a mystery. And you have to be okay with that reality. That's mystery. Um, and I love that he says that, that the fear of God, that phrase, you, you know, even the, the writers of the Bible, they had a hard time trying to translate what that phrase really meant. Um, and so I love the fact that there's a mystery part of it. And the other thing that Peterson says that I think is so great is he says, you know, when we think of the word fear, we think scary, you know, we think that word scary, but obviously God is not scary. Um, and, but there's so much more to fear of the Lord than scary. But Peterson says this, but a lot of times it's the emotions of scary. And so you think about when you're scared what do you, you know, some of those feelings and some of those thoughts that happen when you're scared. And I think about when I'm scared, like I think the reality, okay, I feel disoriented. You know, it's like, boo, ah, 
you know, I, I feel, I feel disoriented. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what's going on. I feel, I feel disoriented. I, I'm not, um, let me, I wanted to re- make sure I said these right. I feel disoriented. You know, when you're scared, you don't know quite what's going to happen to you. You see what I'm saying? Like when you're scared, you're not sure what's going to happen to you. And then I think too, when you're scared, you're realizing that things are uncertain. And when you're scared, I think you are reminded of the awesome, crazy truth that you're not in control, that you're not in control. And so those times when you feel those feelings of scared, so many times we focus our fear on man or on ourself and we try to control it. But maybe those feelings of fear that we have of being disoriented, not knowing what's going to happen next, and remembering that we're not in control, what if that's to take us and to step us in to our relationship with the Lord and remembering that, yeah, we've got a God of the empty tomb. Can you imagine that that's fear? Well, I didn't see that coming. And that that's our God, that he does, he surprises us and he disorients us. And that maybe that's what that fear of the Lord is in that moment. Does that make sense? Maybe that brings a different spin to it. I don't know if it does or doesn't, but I'm going to keep going with it. Um, but that, that, there, that there's that dynamic, you know, because I think we can be ruled by fear and we can be afraid, you know, we can be afraid when we break up with the boyfriend or we can be afraid when we lose the job or we keep the job or we pull our kids out of school. Like we can have so much fear and that fear can paralyze us. But what if instead of stepping back, we're supposed to step in and press into that. And that knowing that when we feel disoriented, when we feel afraid, that God, that's you. That thing that feels so other, that makes me feel like I'm out of control, that's you. And that's you reminding me that you are the one that is in control, that you are the one that is in control. And I think like those women, sometimes it is, it's the new thing that God wants us to take the risk for. And then I think of those thinking about this this morning, I feel like I'm supposed to say this, that sometimes it is, it's that new thing that we're supposed to take the risk for. And then sometimes it's the other side of the coin. Sometimes the risk is staying. It's not necessarily the new thing you're going to do, but it's staying right where you are. It's staying in the marriage. It's staying in the job. It's staying in school. And sometimes that's, you know, you can be just as afraid of those things too, but knowing that God wants to meet you in the middle of that. You know, when I, like I said, when I keep thinking about fear of the Lord, um, and I feel like it is, it's that concept of stepping into, it's like that awesome, it's that awesome wonder. It's stepping into something that's bigger than you. And I think, well, when do we do that? When do we get to do that? When do we get to do that? And I love, you know, Paul, when we were talking before, um, he said, I don't, I don't know what God wants to do in worship. You know, or he said, I trust God. Was that where is he? I don't know. But I trust God that God knows what he wants to do in worship. You know, and so I love that watching that moment when Paul said, let's just stay here for a minute. Let's just stay here for a minute. Um, and there was that pause in worship. And I feel like that moment is fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? Like we experience that other when we're in corporate worship. I think that's why we like worship so much because it gives us a desperate break from focusing on ourselves. And we get that break from focusing on ourselves and we get to focus on that other, which is God and being reminded that we are a part of a bigger story, that we're a part of a bigger story than, um, than what we see and than what's going on. And I love that. And I think it happens in corporate worship. And I think too, it happens in prayer. It's that chance um, to take, you know, to take a break from thinking about ourselves and to, to see and to step into God's bigger story. You know, when I look back and I go back and I look at that passage and I see what those women did 
because they questioned the culture. Um, you know, they questioned the culture, they feared the Lord, and they chose life. I think the thing also that blows my mind um, that I want to end with is that those women, though, they didn't make that choice um, in corporate worship. You know, it's not like they were at church and they were like, you know what? I'm going to go save babies this week. And that's the big thing that I'm going to do for God. It wasn't about um, them doing something. It was about God. The story is always about God. And the story is always about what we're doing. I mean, what God's doing and that we get to be a part of it. Because what I love about that story is that those women were just doing their job. Those women's job was midwives. They were just doing their job and that God showed up in their daily lives and that they knew that God was there in their daily lives. And it was in their daily, everyday lives that those women feared the Lord. And because of their fear of the Lord, that they chose life and that, cho- that choosing of life affected generations. And I, I don't... I, I get overwhelmed when I think and I pray about God, what does that mean for my church? What does that mean for my family? When we begin as a body to question and to say, God, what does that look like to fear you and to know you in my daily life, to question the culture? And what does that look like? Because those women, it's like the reality is that that relationship that they had was so personal. It was so, it had to be personal for them to go so strong against the culture. Their God had to be real in that moment for them to go against the culture. Um, And I think, what does that mean for my church when we begin to wrestle and try to understand, God, what does that mean to fear you um, and to know you and to be intimate with you in my daily life? And it is exciting to think, how will that breathe and breed life in the lives of people around me? And now um, what, I love, what I love about River City is that it doesn't end with that. You know, it doesn't end with that and then there's a benediction. What it ends with ministry time and it ends with what God is going to do next um, with, with what, what he's done and what he's beginning to do um, in this church. And so Antley's going to come forward and lead us in the time of ministry.